You're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast in the Clay and Buck Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. We are continuing our coverage of the war in Israel. In the past few days, we've seen and heard some of the most depraved acts of violence imaginable. Hamas terrorists invaded Israel to attack not soldiers, but civilians in the most horrific ways. We've all seen the videos. We've watched the posts on social media of Hamas terrorist paratroopers descending on a music festival filled with unsuspecting young people. We've watched those young people running from madmen spewing bullets at them. And we know they killed and kidnapped as many as they could from that festival. We've seen the graphic photos of young children and babies burned to death. We've heard reports of decapitation of the most innocent of lives, little babies, elderly murdered, women taken hostage, women raped, children raped. These are barbaric acts and they're happening before our eyes. It is so unimaginable to us and yet we find the rate of anti-Semitic rhetoric online increasing over 400% in this country. We read the student letters from universities in support of Hamas. If you go online today, you will see numerous posts claiming the things I just spoke about never happened. We knew we had to share the truth with you. And to do that, we wanted someone who is on the ground in Israel. And I'm honored to be joined today by former advisor to the former U.S. Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, and the author of the book, Let My People Know, Rabbi Arya. Am I say I? I said that wrong. I, I gotta got to get it. it right. No, you're <laughs> okay. good. It's it's REA, but it's very close. Rabbi Rabbi REA Lightstone. Rabbi, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I don't know how you made it through that introduction. Just recounting those words and the images that I think go through all of our minds as you say that it's 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 almost like reviewing a horror film than talking about something that's happened in the last five days. It is. And honestly, I, I am, I think the biggest shock to me is this anti-Semitism that we're seeing that we thought could not possibly exist. And, and certainly not in young people. I think it's so shocking to me because I am a part of generation X, you know, and we are the generation that I think one of the last generations that really learned about the Holocaust, learned about anti-Semitism, learned about why this can never happen again. And then we went into this generation where they started to have this indoctrination and these other discussions. They started to get a away from talking about this. And man, we have seen some really strange things coming out of universities what is it like for you to watch this coming out of American universities? Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack there. I, I think the first thing is context, which, which you're so correctly alluding to. Uh, what we've seen in the last five days is the worst devastation that the Jewish world has felt since the actual Holocaust. Um, and that is... From a context perspective, you know, the slogan after the Holocaust that you learned growing up, that I learned growing up, it was inculcated in my mind was never again. Uh, my step-grandfather was a survivor of Auschwitz. Um, he was a hero, an incredible person, and he took it upon himself to tell students 
in high school and college about his story of what Auschwitz was like. And he began every recounting of his time during the Holocaust with the following thing. He said, all of you know of the phrase, seeing is believing. He said, that is not true. I saw it, I lived through it, and I don't believe that it happened. Because so many of us, thank God, have this soul. And our soul is incapable of comprehending the fact that somebody could decapitate a baby. Our soul is is incomprehensible for our souls to believe that somebody would go through a music festival and murder people while smiling. If you read the recounting of the events, it wasn't the anger that they performed these acts and it was the joy that they performed these acts. And, and that is just so horrendous. Now, at that same time, I think you're hitting on something that's far more terrifying, which is the fundamental question I've asked myself since I first heard my step-grandfather's stories when I was eight or nine, where was the rest of the world? Where were they? Right. And right, as right. you walk through in Dearborn, Michigan, in uh, New York City, in Chicago, in LA, in San Francisco, in Sydney, Australia, and you have, forget our college campuses, we'll get to that in a minute, actively cheering on, rooting for Hamas. And when somebody is rooting for Hamas today, look, maybe three weeks ago, you could have made a freedom fighter argument. It would have been intellectually bankrupt, but you could have made that argument and okay. But within 48 hours of a pogrom where, where I, I will we'll say the horrific details because people need to know the horrific details, but, but the raping of women next to dead bodies and then killing them, decapitation of children, the kidnapping of four-year-olds, the kidnapping of Holocaust survivors, all of these things, and then holding a rally in support of those people. We share sidewalks with those people. We go out to eat in the same restaurants as those people. They could be our coworkers. Explain to me how your soul is compatible with that person. It, it, mm-hmm. it is it is unfathomable that we share the same air. It has been shocking to me. I mean, you mentioned Dearborn, Michigan, and obviously I campaigned for governor in this state, and we met people across the entire state, and we met some families that I would tell you I absolutely loved meeting them, and they had a lot of the same conservative values as we do as Christians, as you do as Jewish people, and our discussions were about our children and the love that we have for our children and wanting to keep our children safe, and and some, and I'm not saying all, but some have reached out to me since the campaign, since this since this war began. And I don't, I don't like calling, I know Israel is at war, but I want to be clear, this was an act of terrorism. This was not an act of war, what Hamas did. This is not war. This is sick and depraved, and it is unlike anything we've ever seen before. And yet I've had these people reach out to me and say, you're dead to me. How could you come out on the side of Israel? And I don't understand how you could ever come out on the side of people who go, I can't even call them people, these monsters that go in and shoot into a crowd of young people and rape children. And, and I think that the, you know, people, it's funny because I saw these posts online of women who are like, when, how could we still have men raping women at this point in the world? Haven't we gotten past treating women like this? I'm like, well, that's what you're seeing here. I mean, 
there are, this is so far beyond that, but that's where the mindset is of so many young women and men in the United States, because I think we've lived such privileged lives, such protected lives that you can see one part and, and kind of go, oh gosh, how can that happen? There are reasons that they rape these women and then kill them because they believe that once they are unclean, they will not go to the promised land. They will not end up in heaven. That's it. It's exactly right. This is not only was this an act of terror, but really what it was, not Israel's not at war. Uh, we are now in the war of a civilization. And I mean that in the truest forms. If you look at Black Lives Matter in Chicago, you saw their meme where it has uh, uh, BLM stands with Palestine coming down on a paraglider. Now, the paraglider is what the terrorists went on to kill people. And, and I like the fact that they tweeted out that meme because I've always known who they were. And yeah, now no, they're no. telling us that, which is great. Rashida Tlaib, you're, you're, I don't mean to pick on Michigan. I like Michigan. I really, really do. Uh, but but your, your you know, venerated congresswoman was asked by an enterprising Fox News reporter for 71 seconds. I believe I counted 17 times. Do you have a comment on the decapitation of children? That is not a polit politically sensitive topic to ask about. I think we're all against decapitation of children. Jewish children, non-Jewish children, we're against that. I, I, I'm fairly positive mm -hmm. this was something that all Americans could rally around, and she no commented that. And and this this war of civilization, if you no comment, which is sort of where I was going to in the beginning, I now understand what regular Germans were doing when the right. Nazis were around. This was right. all you but, have to do is no see, comment. That's all you have to do saying, is no comment. That's right. But they're out there and they're saying exactly what I said when I, when I started this. These are not true. These things did not happen. And I, I mean, I just think back, gosh, we're seeing this. We're seeing history replay. You know, we always say history repeats itself if you don't learn. And you think you've learned, but that we stopped learning. Like I said, we stopped learning because we stopped teaching about the Holocaust. We stopped teaching about World War II. And so you see this and you go, man, oh my gosh, this is how it happened. I see how it happened because, and now I think it's even more, you can see it play out in real time because you have social media, you have people making these posts and they're going, this is propaganda. This is not real. And you see these young people and you're like, man, I can see how you would have been converted to the Nazi side because you see these young people going, but they're right. They've been oppressed. They've had this, this, these, the Israelis have been horrible to them. And they're somehow making it okay because there has been a conflict for years between the two sides, which we know they're making it okay to go in and attack citizens, attack regular people, attack babies. I mean, where, how did we get here and how do we stop it? So how do we stop it is, is, is probably the question that we need to focus on. We'll spend, look, Israel just commemorated the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, which is the scariest time in Israel's history up until two days ago, five days ago. And I remember reading an article just a week ago. They're still doing the post-action report on where, what went wrong for the Yom Kippur War to have gone mm -hmm. as poorly as it had gone. We'll spend the next 50 years uh, figuring out how five days ago happened. That doesn't bother me. Other people will have a chance to do that. What do we do now in order to be able to restore, I would call it normalcy to the world? And, and, and how do we find 
you know, moments of, of, of humanity in this. So I want to share one moment of humanity and then, then maybe talk a little bit about, I think, how we can go forward. The moment of humanity, and I saw this clip yesterday, and I, I get choked up just thinking about it, so I, pardon me if, if, um, if I'm moved. Um, in one of the, the live streams of the uh, movie party, the, the music party, uh, it had these police officers who knew immediately that they were outgunned, who knew immediately that they were outmaneuvered, and who knew that they were likely not to make it. And I say that a normal, rational human being would figure out how to run away, right? It's called flight or fight. And they took the civilians that they could, mostly young men and young women, and stood in between the terrorists and these people, giving them an extra couple of seconds or minutes to be able to run away. And they saved countless lives that way. And you saw in the live stream their bodies riddled with bullets as they continued with their last dying breaths to usher the civilians behind them. And and if you look at the face of the police officers, which I don't know whether I hope that their parents saw or their parents didn't see, because they're 24 and 25 and 26 years old. But how do you raise a child to be a hero? How do you raise a child to, to have given so much to other people? And because you put on a uniform, that, that uniform doesn't make you Superman. That uniform doesn't make you Superwoman. Like, what, what, what was that about them that enabled them to do that? So that's the, that's the glimmer of humanity that, that you can see there and say, there's something so incredibly godly about those people to have thought of other people above themselves. We don't see nearly enough of that in our, in our times. And then look at the exact converse, the 180 degrees diametrically opposite. The people who run Hamas are sitting in Doha, Qatar at the Four Seasons, dining on whatever they're dining on, driving their Lamborghinis, eating their luxury, whatever else it would be, while directing their civilians to get in the way of the fighters, that way they become the first line of bomb fodder when Israel appropriately strikes back against Gaza. How, how do you understand those two, one caring about human life and the other disregarding it so blatantly that it's not called out? And because of that, we live in the post-truth world because somebody can point there and say, no, Hamas is right. Hamas isn't right, to be extremely clear. Hamas is a kleptocracy. It is a bunch of thugs who run a mafia organization who steal money from the Europeans and the other Arab countries in the name of ideology. There's no ideology. These guys are all frauds and they're all cowards. And that's exactly what they are. And anybody with a brain can see that. So now let's get to the college campuses because we spoke about people with a brain. So now let's talk about people without a brain, which is the Ivy League system of the United States of America. Um, they have not, I've, I've asked two people to do a study on this. I'm curious how many of the universities put out statements within one week of George Floyd's death? Mm. How many of them put out statements and what those statements said? And how many of them put out statements about the massacre of 1,200 Jews, including 22 Americans? And there is not a equivalency in between that. 100% of the universities put out statements about George Floyd a highly controversial circumstance, and roughly 10% of them put out statements about the massacre of 1,200 Jews. And I, I am, I, I want to be honest about this, I'm pleased because I knew who they were, and now the rest of the world knows who they are. They are frauds. 
they do not teach kids morality. They do not teach kids common sense. And they don't teach kids the difference between right and wrong. And we should know that because we're paying for that. We subsidize these systems and we live in this world where these elites tell us what to do. These elites are wrong. We know that they're wrong. Everybody knows that killing babies is wrong. If they can't admit that, maybe now we can finally understand that they're wrong about so many other things. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Well, it's interesting because as you listen to what these young people are coming out and saying, and remember that when BLM became an organization, I think it was during Obama's administration when we first started seeing BLM, and they got in with the teachers union, they got in with our school systems, and they started having courses that they were actually coming to our K through 12 schools and talking to kids about this. And one of the things they love to talk about is colonialism and these colonists. And they they talk about Israel as they're these colonists. And you've got to go against these people because they are they are pushing the Palestinians out of their land and they are keeping them in, in these open air prisons. And, you know, this is the conversations that we're these are the conversations we're hearing online. I, I and you can go back to early videos of the founder of BLM who is talking about this, that Israel is the colonists. This is the they are the new slaves. This is and and if they're saying this on videos years ago out loud, then certainly they were taking this into our schools. And, and now we see this repeated, this rhetoric repeated. So I, I keep saying, gosh, 
Are we at a situation where we had kids that went from learning to being indoctrinated to being radicalized because now we see people angry? Like, yes, this should have happened. And they are young American children who have never seen any type of war or conflict or understood anything like that in their lives. So when you hear these stories of open air prisons and colonists and, and, you know, they are the oppressors, what is your response to that? Uh, The response is sort of making the same determination as our schools try to indoctrinate kids to decide that a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy. You can you can say anything that you want. It doesn't make it true. Uh, Gaza is not an open air prison. Gaza has a border with Egypt as well. Why does Egypt not open that border? Let's just ask that question today. Israel has asked for all civilian Gazans to retreat from the battle area. It's a congested area. It's not an open-air prison by any stretch of the imagination. Egypt has closed the door. Now, I hope they change their mind. They'll save a lot of lives if they open that. But why isn't Egypt have an obligation to open that door? Where did all these rockets come from? Where did all this weaponry come from if it's an open-air prison? I will tell you exactly where it came from. Billions Tens of billions of dollars go into Gaza. They could go into building Gaza to look like Singapore. It's got the nicest beach in the entire Mediterranean Ocean. It could look like Singapore. It's one hour drive south of Tel Aviv, the strongest tech market in the world outside of Silicon Valley. It could be a hub, the bridge in between Israeli tech innovation, Western Europe, and the Arab Gulf. It could be that hub. It could be Hong Kong to China, what Hong Kong was when it was free. It could be that. And instead, it's a kleptocracy where the leaders live in Qatar and the way they keep cashing the check from the Europeans and the Arab nations is by saying that their people are oppressed. I, I, I don't want to get too far into the details, but... Why are they not responsible for that? Then I mean, sovereign nations have borders. <laughs> Maybe yeah, not in the United not States. Anymore. No, not but... anymore. Correct. Well, but we see countries like Czech Republic. We see, I mean, Egypt is not opening their border. We see countries that are, they they have borders. They keep their borders strong because they want to protect their sovereignty. And so you're telling me that Egypt is doing this. Why is, why are these leaders who are in Qatar, why are they not, why are they not being held accountable for the poverty and for the, the, living conditions in their own, where they control the area, where they control the land across that border. It's the bigotry of lowest expectations you could possibly imagine. I remember when I worked for the Trump administration, there was a determination that that the Trump administration would stop funding UNRWA, which is the UN Refugee Relief Organization, which essentially perpetuates the problem. Every other refugee in the world from every other crisis gets resettled. Only the Palestinians have perpetual refugee status, which means that there is a doctor living in Beverly Hills who still qualifies as a Palestinian refugee, even though their net worth is worth far more than myself and most of the people who live in your entire state, right? This is somebody who still qualifies as a refugee on the official UN refugee roster. It's insane. It's a self-perpetuating cycle. It's the textbooks that come from UNRWA that have the mathematical problem that says, if one jihadi can kill eight Israelis, how many jihadis do I need to kill 37 Israelis? That's what they teach in math to third graders, paid for by Western governments, including ours. 
That's what we pay for. We pay to teach hate. We pay in order to exacerbate the refugee problem. And we, this is a, when we cut off funding from UNRWA, there was an assumption that um, other countries who said UNRWA is so critical would step up and pay the money instead of the United States of America. And shockingly enough, none of those other countries stepped up to pay the money because it turns out that America is just the biggest sucker on the world stage ever. So we don't pay the money. And then all of the intelligence people come back and tell the president that, do you know what will happen if UNRWA is not funded by the United States of America? The Palestinians will have to kill Jews. Now, just mm-hmm. understand what the, what the option is. I can go to school in a UN-funded school, or I can kill a Jew. I can't open a lemonade stand, right? I mean, there's no, there's no, do you understand that, that the, the extremes of either I t- send you to school to indoctrinate you to hate people, or you physically go out and kill people. Those are the only two options that the world has for Palestinians. It is so embarrassing. Palestinians are intelligent. Palestinians are bright. Palestinians are uh, ingenious. Palestinians are uh, able to do hard work and all of these wonderful things if we raise the bar. One of the best things that Jared Kushner and David Friedman did in President Trump's deal of the century that came out January 20, 2020, said, we believe in the Palestinian people, even if your leaders do not. And we would like you to come to the table, just do the following things. And it laid out 10 things that they needed to do to be treated like regular people who would join a community nation. And some of them are pretty basic. Maybe don't have a law where you get paid more money the more Jews that you kill. That's a bad law in 2023. It was a bad law in 2020, right? And that law is still on the books. Um, wow. President and, well, Trump- I, I think that I want, I want to go back to that really quick because I think that's the part that people are missing. This is not a territorial dispute. This was to kill Jews. Yeah. This was their plan. This is about genocide. Yeah. And I'll tell you why I'm here. My kids looked at me. We're Americans. We're not Israeli. We happen to be here. We came here to work for President Trump. My kids are doing fantastically well in school, so we kept them in the great schools so we would continue to succeed. But we're Americans. We, we are not Israeli. And my kids looked at me and said, maybe we should get on a plane and go to America. And I turned to them and I said, please tell me what you think happened this week. And they said it was terrorism. I said, fantastic. What is terrorism supposed to do? Hmm. It's supposed to terrify you. I said, we don't run from anything. I said, we are here and we are strong. And the Israeli next to me and the Israeli on the other side, they can't go anywhere. They're not looking to go anywhere. What message does it send if we leave? So we're here, not because we're brave and not because we're strong, but because like hell, are we going to be intimidated by a bunch of people who took paragliders and shot women while they were sleeping? We're not Mm -hmm. going to do that, which is why I brought this evening my kids down to an army base to meet uh, men. They're not young men. These were all in their late 30s, early 40s. Uh, who will be going into Gaza when the full-scale ground operation happens for my kids to meet these people. So they'll see that they are regular people. We met a dentist. We met a doctor. We met a startup founder. Uh, we met uh, two um, uh, physical therapists. And my kids schmoozed with them. They spoke to them and found out that they've got kids at home waiting for them to come home, and their dads and their brothers and their fathers. And they're, they're, they're good people who the only thing they want is to protect their wives and their children and their parents. And I told my kids, they do not care whether you're Jewish. They do not care if you voted for right. They do not care if you voted for left. The concept of never again after the Holocaust is one that they've signed up for. And and they asked me to give them a little speech. 
And I, I said, I, I can't give you a pep talk. You've given me a pep talk. The entire purpose of being that I have right now has been elevated because I drove two and a half hours to drop off some Kevlar vests. Uh, I really feel, you know, it's, these, these, are, these are the people who want to stand in the way of bad people, stop bad people from getting to good people. And the enemy on the other side is exactly the opposite. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. What is it like on the ground there? So many families have lost so much, but you sound so positive about staying and and being together. We see people leaving the United States just to go join on the front line. So what's the attitude like on the ground? Well, the five days feels like five years at this point in time. Saturday and Sunday felt not like 9-11. I was in New York City on 9-11. And I remember just feeling bewildered and lost and directionless. And Maybe it was 9.13. It might have taken us to 9.14. And I'm like, we're America. We're going to be fine. We, we, got, we got punched. But my goodness, have they awoken somebody that they did not want to wake. And uh, you remember the George Bush line when, when you know, he stood there at the, at the wreckage. And when George Bush threw out that first pitch during the World Series, uh, I mean, there was just this feeling of unbelievable America's back. Uh, Israel's back. Uh, here's something that everybody needs to know, because it's going to be a really – rough couple of weeks in terms of messages. There are going to be Palestinian children who are going to die in Gaza. There are Palestinian children who have already died in Gaza. There are going to be innocent women who are going to die in Gaza. There are already innocent women who have died in Gaza. Let me be exceptionally clear to everybody who listens and cares what I'm going to say. On October 6th, the day before this massacre, not a single one of them were in jeopardy. Not a single one of them had a bad life because of Israel. Any oppression that they had was because of their theocratic, kleptocratic leaders living off the lamb and Lamborghinis and Four Seasons in Doha. That's not an Israel issue. That's a them issue. After this massacre was perpetrated, Israel has one choice and one choice only. In the Middle East, you can be strong or you can be dead. Israel discovered what happens when it fell asleep at the wheel. Dead the Holocaust, never again. Israel will restore deterrence because the last time this happened was 50 years ago, Yom Kippur War. The will of the Israeli people today is not to buy 50 years of quiet, to buy 500 years of quiet. And Israel will go with the vengeance that has not been seen in at least 50 years in the Middle East in order to deter anybody else from ever trying this again. And, and, those of us who are on the side, side of good will understand and support and root for Israel's complete and total success. And that doesn't make us less human because in our hearts, we will cry for the fact that there are innocent Palestinians who will die and be injured and have a difficult life because of their leadership. None of this has to do with Israel. All of this has to do with their leadership. It's interesting that you say that because as I was watching this unfold, I was thinking that what you just said would be the same reaction here in America, that Americans would come together. We've been torn apart for several years now by party, but within party, I mean, it it doesn't matter. There have been people on different sides of issues, and I thought this will be the time when everybody says it's time to come together and take care of this and make sure that we support our allies. And I think we've even seen, I mean, you talked about Rashida Tlaib. We've seen, we saw 
even here in, in Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer struggled with the first message that she put out. And I know you commented on that. And and I think that I, I look at that and I think, what where did our leadership go? How did the country that is the leader of the free world end up with leaders who waffle, who don't know how to respond? And and I think that we we talked about this generational crisis where young people haven't learned. And I think that our leaders are putting their messages in the hands of young people who are just getting out of college. And, you know, I mean, I look at Michigan and, and a few weeks ago, the governor had a big Twitter campaign on Barbie and that went over really well. Everybody loved it. It was fantastic. You know, how cute that she has this Whitmer Barbie going everywhere. When it came to this message, because I believe it's because she is close to these communities, whether it is the teachers union or the universities, but also her staff is like, oh no, we can't say that we're with Israel. And so she put out this message that was so obtuse, you know, like we couldn't even tell what she meant. We don't know, know what she was talking about at first. How do we get leadership back in the United States? Yeah. So, so two comments on that. Number one is I, it's not my job to poke at people. I, I, I really root for all Americans. When my kids and I wake up every morning, we hope that Joe Biden will be the greatest president in the history of the world because that'll be good for America. And I'm, I'm fine being wrong. I really am. Uh, mm -hmm. As long as America's winning, it doesn't need to be R or D. So far, I have not been right. Those prayers have not yet been answered, although I'll credit President Biden since this massacre. Uh, he has given the correct speech and he's brought the carriers into the Mediterranean. And I hope that he'll continue to be strong because I root for people living over me winning elections, which is fine. Um, I really, really do hope that that's the case um, for, for Governor Whitmer. You know, we spent time in Israel. She knows the issues. It's not like she doesn't know the issues. And to have a tweet that can't choose in between good and evil, uh, to me, is just disappointing because that's not a leader. That's a politician. And and while, while we're on this particular issue, her follow-up tweet should not have gotten her out of hot water. To recognize that Israel is suffering is fine. To not call out the evil that caused the suffering is like a cancer doctor treating the symptom but not the disease. You wouldn't go back to that cancer doctor again because they won't save you. If you can't call out the disease, then you can't address it. And that's the difference between leadership and politicians. We have a lot of politicians who are very quick to poll test what something will say. We have very few leaders who are willing to say something because it's the right thing for the country and uh, or their state or their city or their school board. Look at the school boards. These are being fought on the most local basis. And this is why I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic because I think for quite a while, many of us got complacent. We've done well, many of us financially. We are comfortable, many of us. We are okay. And we were letting other people run our country. And I think we sat there and said, wait, this direction is not the country that I want to raise my kids. And I don't want a girl in my uh, pardon me, I don't want a boy in my girl's bathroom. Uh, I don't want, uh, you know, whatever else would wind up being taught to my kids that, that because they're white, they're bad kids. I don't want people being taught anything because they're a specific race. I want my kids learning about World War II. I want all of these things. So it starts at the school board. It starts at the cities. Um, and then it goes to the states and then to the federal government. It's going to take a long time. 
to change the leadership structure. I'll, I'll give an example. You are a spectacular example of the leadership that this country needs because you come at things from a fresh perspective and you're willing to say the truth. Um, President Trump, one of the reasons why I think he'll be one of the most successful presidents of my lifetime is because he came from the non-political class. He was able to call things out from what they were. Was he perfect? Of course not. What a human being is perfect, right? But but he saw things differently. The way Middle East peace happened was because there wasn't an attempt to do things the same way over and over again and expect a different result. So so I'm optimistic that that's caused a sea change, and that sea change hurts. It really, really does hurt. Um, but we'll get through it because it's America and it's the greatest country in the history of the world and we'll somehow figure it out. Hmm. Well, we will figure it out as long as we have voices like yours and we are so honored that you joined us today and talked about this. And I know that you, I just want you to know that all of us who are here that are watching this are just so impressed with you and your family and that resolve to say, we're not running we're not going to let them scare us. I mean, that's what the American spirit is. You don't run, you stay. And the fact that you said that, it just means so much to me. So Rabbi Arie Lightstone, we are so pleased to have had you on today and talk to you about this. It is just an honor to have had your time today. Now, the, the honor is mine. Am I allowed to leave one last message for anybody watching yeah. or listening? If you're, on the, if you're on the side of good and not on the side of evil. So I'm just going to ask you to do two things, if you don't mind, actually three things. One is pray. Uh, there, this is precarious time for all people. Uh, in Israel, it's a local call. But if you're in America, it's a long distance call. And that's fine. You should pray from there also. So, so you know, do your best. Uh, the prayers help and the prayers resonate and the people here feel those prayers. The second is... Israel will win when the United States stands with it. Call your congresspeople, call your senators, call your president, do something. Be, be uncomfortable. There are people here, I was at the front lines literally an hour ago, they are uncomfortable there. If you want to stand with good against evil, be uncomfortable. Do something more. If you would normally send an email, go to the office. If you would normally go to the office and insist that you see the member themselves. If you normally see the member himself, go to a rally. Do something that makes you uncomfortable. This is a battle in between good and evil, you can't relax. You can't sit on the side. And the final thing is, is do something today in, in memory of those people who are not here today. Something else that you wouldn't normally do. Something in Judaism is called a mitzvah. In, 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 in our conservative things, it's called a value. Do something that would, that makes this world better because the world got darker. Uh, so, so bring some light to the world. It, it will mean an enormous amount coming from here. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity just to share a little bit about what I've been been experiencing. I really appreciate it. Well, I, I just, I feel like I have to add a little bit to that because you saying be uncomfortable is so meaningful to me. We got a call from a very close relative who is Jewish and their daughter is in a situation where all of her friends are having to put away their necklaces and anything that signifies that they are Jewish. And this is in Florida. And when you are uncomfortable, you protect those little kids. I think that is so important across the world right now. Little kids are putting away their Star of David because they are so afraid of someone knowing that they are Jewish because we're seeing so much anti-Semitism today. So I like that. Be uncomfortable. Thank you. Thank you. 
And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon Podcast. For this episode and others, go to TudorDixonPodcast.com. You can subscribe right there, or you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts and join us the next time. Have a blessed day.